Hello, and welcome to Bostonian Rap. My name is Rachel Meiselman. You are listening to me on WBCALP 102.9 FM Boston. This is Boston's community radio station. We're going to go to a quick disclaimer, and then we're going to come back and jump right on in to tonight's show. The following commentary does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to Boston Neighborhood Network, 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Massachusetts, 02119. To arrange a time for your own commentary, you can call WBCA at 617-708-3241, or you can email radio at bnntv.org. Hello, and welcome back to me, Rachel Meiselman, your host of Bostonian Rap. You are listening to me on WBCA LP 102.9 FM Boston. This is Boston's community radio station. So last week's show, I talked about anti-Semitism, and it was my hope that I added some dimension to the conversation because, as I said last week, as I've said before, as I will say tonight, and as I will surely say in the future, until there's peace between Israel and and the Palestinian people, whenever there is any kind of hostility or a round of hostility Hamas fires rockets, or maybe it's Hezbollah. It, and, and Hezbollah is is Lebanon based, but Hezbollah, just like Hamas, they're, they're both backed, supported by Iran. And 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 let me tell you something. If if you're having to talk about this war between Israel and Hamas, and and that's where I started to go. It always, whenever this, whenever there is there is any kind of hostility in that particular part of the world, it always becomes Israel versus the Palestinian people. That's not what this has been for quite some time. This is Israel versus Hamas, and Hamas. This uh, Israel this time must finish Hamas. It must completely dismantle Hamas. There's just no way that. There can be a ceasefire until all the hostages are returned, every single hostage. And Hamas has no more capacity to to do harm, to do evil. Now, I'm well aware that with the eradication of Hamas— that doesn't mean that peace will be just around the corner. It'll be you'll be able to see it on the horizon. Uh, you might have to strain your eyes, but it'll be there now, because there'll be another group waiting to take Hamas's place. There's going to have to be a lot of work done on a lot of fronts, and I think that this particularly vicious, brutal, savage terrorist terrorist attack that took place on October 7th has really driven that home to a great many people who 
up until very, very recently thought otherwise. But what I was saying about last week's show is that I think ordinarily people just talk about the Israelis versus the Palestinians and and even even with the war raging on, I think that's what some people still cling to. In fact, most people do. And it's very important to insist upon this being a war between Israel and Hamas that started because Hamas launched a vicious, again, a vicious terrorist attack. Wasn't a military operation, Counselor Fernandez Anderson. It was a terrorist attack. A terrorist attack that claimed that claimed so many Jewish lives that we as a people have not seen such carnage since the Holocaust. Okay, that's how devastating the attack was. It claimed so many lives and 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 the scale of it has not been seen since the Holocaust. Some people are likening October 7th to Israel's 9/11. I would I would go with that too, but but there is the genocidal <laughs> mission that Hamas is on, that underpins everything. And so I don't want that to get lost. Yes, 9-11, but it really, it's, it was carried out with the this, this singular goal, or with the singular goal of wiping out as many Jews as possible and really just going, 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 going until they cannot go anymore. That is Hamas's goal. That is part of their mission. That is in their charter of organization. It's, you don't have to take my word for it. You can just listen to the leadership of Hamas. But when I was talking last week Again, it's my hope that, as I said, I, that I added some dimension to the conversation. And I want people to understand that this is really, I can't stress this enough, this has really shook a lot of people, and certainly shook the Jewish community to its very core, and it has caused division. It has caused division because there are some Jews that will place their political ideology ahead of the reality of the situation. They will place their their politics above brotherhood, and it's, it's devastating. It's devastating. There, there have been splits within the Jewish community. And I don't know if and when they can be healed. I'm being honest. I'm being honest. And, and I'll be further honest. 
because again, I want to keep on adding dimension to this conversation. It's it's not one dimensional. It's 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 it doesn't have just the one layer. It's it's very much multi-dimensional, multifaceted. Multi, you know, there's so many different aspects. Uh, very much multi-layered. It's. I, I mean, again, I, I hope for peace uh, in the uh, between the, the state of Israel and, and the Palestinian people. I, I hope that you know. It, my own people, my community, the Jewish community, I hope that there can be a re- reconciliation, but I just don't know if and when that can happen. As I said, and and, and, and I want to add that this division is not anything new. It's not anything new. What has changed is that because we had an incident so shocking in breath, so shocking in terms of the scale upon which it, it happened, all the lives that were claimed, how they were claimed, that I think that, like I said, I think a lot of people were shook to their very core and... I think this war has caused people to really reevaluate many things. And people have decided what they're going to tolerate and what they're not going to tolerate. We hear in politics, uh, it's mostly we hear it in regard to what's going on in D.C. And and more particularly, we, we hear about it in regard to foreign policy, we, we hear the phrase red line. And I think that with this war between Israel and Hamas, I think a lot of people have now said, well, I have a red line. Me, me myself, I am a member of Joe Q. Public. I... I'm just an average Joe, but I myself, rather, excuse me, have a red line, and it's been crossed. And things that people ignored can no longer be ignored. And so it's not that people, I mean, I suppose there are some people, and some of them might be Jewish, who have a problem with hearing any kind of sympathy for the Palestinian or empathy for the Palestinian people. But I I think that overwhelmingly the Jewish community has a lot of empathy for the Palestinian people in Israel and around the world. So when someone says, well, I support the Palestinian people, that's not a problem for so, 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 so many of us. The problem is when Israel's hold to a different standard. The problem is 
when the terrorism that Hamas has been engaging in, when it is diminished, when it is whitewashed, when it's when it's mischaracterized uh, deliberately, when it's described as something else, when the goal of Hamas, not the Palestinian people, although I recognize that there is prejudice among the Palestinian people. There is anti-Semitic bigotry. I know this. Of course there is. But my recognition of that, my acknowledgement of that, doesn't make me any more... It, it, well, it doesn't make me any less sad and distraught over the loss of innocent lives there. Because when I hear about a loss of a life in Palestine, in the Palestinian territories, excuse me, I don't say to myself, well, gee, I wonder if the person was anti-Semitic or not. No, of course, you, you, you think of a fellow human being that has tragically lost his life because he or she was in the wrong place at the wrong time. But this red line... This red line, it's feel empathy toward the Palestinians, but don't feel empathy toward Hamas. Don't try to define what Hamas is and what Hamas has done, what it does in terms, any, uh, in any other way that give short shrift to the truth. And so, yes, there's been, a, there's been a split in the Jewish community. There has been. I don't want to over overstate it, but I don't want to pretend like it didn't happen, that it's not important. This particular segment of the Jewish population, unfortunately, like I said, has put personal politics, and they happen to be politics on the left. <laughs> it's just what it is. On this particular issue, it's, these are Jews that are very much on the political left, and for them, that is more important than brotherhood. Simple as. And uh, it's it's simple enough to to articulate, but it's... It's, it's incredibly painful to say. It's incredibly painful to say because I think that throughout history, throughout history, uh, I think a lot of my people have often said to themselves, well, if I can't, <laughs> if I can't rely on a fellow Jew, who am I supposed to rely upon? So it's, it's, <laughs> it's a tough time right now. It really is. Um, so I will talk um, definitely more about uh, what's going on between Israel and Hamas and this spillover because I, I will say one thing before I start talking about local politics. As soon as I heard about the outbreak of the war, I thought about my family, <laughs> first and foremost, uh, who live in Israel. And then... I said, you know what? 
this is going to play out in cities around the world, in countries around the world. I knew it would because when there have been hostilities, when there has been an escalation of animosity between Israel and Hamas, people in different places around the globe have used that as an opportunity, as a pretext, as an excuse to hurt Jewish people, whether verbally or physically. And even when, I can't say times of peace, when there's been times of quiet, I'll phrase it like that, there have still been incidents. There have still been incidents. So it's, there's a lot to contend with. And I think that if anyone has any intention on being intellectually honest, he or she's going to say to himself, you know what? I see what's happening over in that part of the world between Israel and Hamas, the Middle East, and that particular part of the Middle East. Because it's not regional, and I pray that it doesn't become regional, although Hezbollah has gotten involved and there has been one or two other um, terrorist groups that have... Um, that have participated, if I can phrase it like that, so far um, in this ugly, grim war that Israel absolutely must win. But we can recognize what's going on over there, but when we also recognize what's going on even right here in Boston, in New York City, like, right right here, we don't even have to go very far. We can just, in our own backyards. And we see hostility toward Jewish people, and we see Jewish people being attacked. Now, of course, there has been hostility towards... There has been towards Palestinians, and I will always condemn that. That makes my heart heavy. It makes me angry also because the taking of an innocent life. It's out of hatred. It's there 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 can be no justification for that. No excuse. No other way to describe it except in the terms that are made for it, that fit it, and that is it's killing somebody out of hatred, a cold-blooded murder. Having said that, the attacks against the Jewish people have been much, much, much more numerous, and that doesn't make any life that has been lost thus far or since any less important 
But I'm just saying that the reality of the situation is that people are using, this is my, it was my second fear, that people would, and they are, using this situation, the war, to give voice to their anti-Semitism. And it's just, that can't be allowed anymore. And as I said last week, I think that you're going to see, you've already started to see people in the Jewish community take a stand. I'm not giving to my alma mater, not one more cent. People are standing up. No, you don't have the right to to call me that. Because I think for a long time, I think that Jews themselves, the Jews that are white, bought into this idea that, well, if we're white, we can't really be on the receiving end of bigotry. We can't really be victims. We can't be anything really other than oppressors. So we have to try to be decent, good people. And let me just remind everybody that anyone can be the victim of bigotry and anyone can be an oppressor. And some people, it depends on where you are, um, certainly. But in, even generally speaking, you have some people who are more likely to be victims than others. I freely acknowledge that. And you have some people who are more likely to be in the position of oppressors, not because you know, one ethnic group or one race is is innately good or bad, but it's just, we're just talking about demographics. And sadly, people um, look for differences a lot more quickly than they look for similarities. And, um, you know, if someone has a different color skin, might talk a little bit differently, have, you know, has a different accent, might come from another country, uh, different faith. These are differences that people pounce upon. <laughs> so that's sadly what it is. And I will, I know this is one heck of an introduction, right? It's taking up most of the show, but the, that's, I feel like it's, it's warranted. It's completely, completely warranted because what is happening now um, is we have a situation where never again is now. And, and some of you might have seen that on social media, and I think that that really perfectly encapsulates uh, what, what is happening, what we're experiencing, what we're living through. That's not being dramatic. That's not being hyper, hyperbolic. It's, it's, this is what, what is going on. Never again is now. But I do want to devote more time to politics. And I just, we need, we need people that, that are smart. We need people that are hardworking. We need people who are knowledgeable. Boston has taken an absolute beating because for so long, our focus was diversity. 
right? Diversity. We have to have so many people that look like this. We have to have so many women. We have to have so many, you know, and so on and so forth. You know what? The more diverse that we've become in terms of our uh, elected representation, the worse off our communities have been because we have elected people who are not qualified for what they're doing and their sole focus is not the people, it's themselves. If we look at the Boston City Council, I can't tell you to go out and vote for a particular person. I can tell you to go out and vote, and so I am. Go out and vote. It's it's so important. And I don't I don't want to hear any more excuses as to why someone can't do it. Well, my vote doesn't make a difference. My it doesn't really matter. It's all rigged. It's you know what? I'm not even going to listen to now if like someone starts talking like that, I'm going to thank the person for his or her time, and then just walk away. Because the, the stakes are too high. We have too many problems that are just too sizable to continue either not to vote or to vote indiscriminately. We, can't, we just can't do it anymore. And, you know, earlier today I was talking about, or I expressed a thought online about council president because Ed Flynn cannot run for council president again because, you know, the rules, he served this term, he can't serve, you know, another, you know, a consecutive term. So I'm thinking about, my gosh, (laughs) who, who would have the gravitas? I mean, I'm sorry, but... I'm so sick of women, we rule the world, all that nonsense, really. I am one of the biggest, baddest, nastiest. And when I say nastiest, I don't mean as in pleasant. I mean as in, like, room, room, like, you go. <laughs> you go, girl, or you go, woman, or whatever you want to, however you want to phrase it, but, like, the one of the biggest, baddest, nastiest feminists that you ever want to come across. But I'm tired of all this, yeah, yeah, women rule the world. No, you don't. And do we need more women in positions of power? Yes, we do. But that shouldn't come with a price. So because we need so many women, we have to forego experience. And we have to forego competence. And we have to forego intelligence. Look, if there is a woman who can do the job as well as a man or better than a man, If I think that woman is the best fit for a position, whatever it may be, I'm going to support her. But I'm not going to support a woman because she's a woman. You know, I know that there's a push for Rootsy, and I appreciate that there there have been moments uh, that 
maybe have led the the greater public to believe that you know well gee she she could be a good council president maybe mayor let's slow down let, let's let's pump the brakes she's a freshman counselor and she stood up to run to represent the whole city and i know darn well she didn't know the whole city i know she didn't what she knew was that she had connections. And what she knew is that she would have barrel, barrels and barrels full of money to spend. And I don't begrudge her. I actually, honestly, truly don't. My issue is people trying to say that because she had such strong support out of the gate, and because she does have the ability to raise the money, not because she's some kind of uh, fundraising, you know, wonderkin, but because she's got that Elizabeth Warren connection. I, I just, <clears throat> there is so much more that Rootsy has to learn. And I just, I feel like, I feel like there were people that were more well-informed that knew the city a lot better. And quite frankly, they should be sitting on the council. I, I'm just, I'm keeping it real. Now, you know, someone, you know, wherever that person may be on the political spectrum, left, right, somewhere in, the, in between might say, well, Rachel, you know, I think Ruthie's great. And you know what? That's fine. That's fine. You know what I'm saying? They, I'd say like one of the only people that I... I certainly have been vocal about my problems with Erin Murphy, uh, things I don't like about, you know, her record, her performance as a counselor. I've been very vocal indeed. Um, but I, even for her, I might say, well, if someone wants to support her, have at it. But I guess my point is that I'm not comfortable. I was never comfortable. And I no longer wish to tolerate people that get elected because they have the backing. So they don't even have to be a good candidate. And I'm not saying that Rusi was a horrible candidate. I'm just saying I don't think she was a particularly strong one. I just don't think that. And that's okay. That's okay for me to think that. Does it mean that you know, she couldn't turn out to be a fantastic counselor and she might go on to another elected office. She, you know, she might make a bid and if should she be successful, she might, you know, really shine in that role. I mean, you know, you never know. But I don't think she went in strong. I don't. And I never... Well, I can't say never because I can't speak for... Uh, the whole <laughs> voting, um, all the voters, but I no longer wish to tolerate even people who learn on the job. I can understand learning maybe the extent of something, or learning about another dimension to a problem, but I just, I can't, I, I'm just, I can't do this anymore. Well, you have people who learn on the job. 
Another thing I don't like is that you have, uh, it's a strategy. You ingratiate yourself with the current and former elected officials. And you ingratiate yourself with certain pillars, well, not certain, but pillars in the community, people who can get like, you know, at least like 10 to 20 people in a room. I'm tired. I'm tired of that because we're not getting anything done in Boston. And we don't, what are we standing for? No, really, what are we standing for? I appreciate, you know, there's some people who don't like Sharon Dirk, and you know what? I met her, I liked her, and that's that. You know, it's so funny that, you know, sometimes you'll hear, well, <laughs> this will, sometimes you hear, why don't I be specific? Uh, you know, you might hear from Team Murphy, Erin Murphy's camp, well, you you don't like it. It must be personal. It must be personal. Well, so what if it is? I mean, I have that right, but what what's <laughs> but but what I actually end up saying is I, I can be objective, regardless of what I think, or regardless of the reason why I think what I do. I do have the ability to be objective in terms of her performance on the council. She's actually getting something done. And so I would argue that my thoughts, whether it's on her or one of her colleagues or my neighbor or one of his friends or so on and so forth, it's... I base my opinions on what the person's doing and my interactions with the person. If the person is an elected official, I look at the person's performance. If it's a per- more of a personal relationship or if it is a personal relationship, I look at how the person's treated me, how the person has interacted with me. That's what I go on. That's what I judge, right? And get this. I will come to my conclusions independent of what others think, even people in my inner circle. And so what that means is I can think for myself behind closed doors and publicly. And I think that that's what you want in a person. I think that's what you want because to underline Even if people around me don't necessarily like someone, that doesn't mean I'm not going to like that person. I can think for myself. Being able to think critically and independently is an important thing. I'm always going to stress that. And I probably say in just about every show, and that's okay, because it's it's a bit of a mantra for me. (laughs) But, you know, to get back to the point, at hand, we just we need people who who come in and they know what's going on, and and, and we just we're in this like mode right now, like well, it's got to be a woman. No, it doesn't have to be a woman. And let me tell you a little something. You had Michael flipping Flaherty, who was looking at running for mayor. I don't know anyone who knows this city better than he does. 
But because he's a white Irish Catholic man from Southie, he wasn't a woman of color. He had to step aside to make room. No. We want the best qualified people. And I fully appreciate and understand, hello, I'm a woman of color, that it can be harder for a woman. And it can be even harder for a woman of color. And try being a woman of color with an R after your name. (laughs) Try that. So I fully appreciate that we want representation. Representation matters. But then what I'm going to say is that representation isn't just restricted, for me anyway, to appearance, limited to appearance. Representation also, for me, extends to the way of seeing the world, political philosophy, right? And then in addition to that, and maybe I would say more importantly, competence matters. Representation matters. Competence matters. Knowledge matters. You got to be able to do the job. I think Michael Flaherty would make a fabulous mayor. Y'all don't even know. That man, man, he came on my show one time. And so for the people who know me, who really know me, they know I prepare. Like I don't just get on, you know, whether it's radio or television, I'm not getting on to look the to look the fool. <laughs> no, 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 no. So I always prepare and I do research about, you know, whenever I have a guest, I always do research because I want there to be a flow and I don't want to be finding about out about the guest along with the, you know, with the audience as I'm asking questions. I mean, obviously there might be some things that I discover but I, I want to have an idea of who's in front of me. Well, let me tell you something. Michael is so smart. And he went off in all these different directions. And, and it wasn't to say he wasn't focused. It wasn't that. It's just that he knows so much about so many different things. And I got to tell you that if I hadn't prepared for the show, it would have been ugly because I would not have been able to keep up. <laughs> he's just so smart. And he's done so much for so many people. You had Nick Collins, who was looking at, you know, maybe throwing his hat into the ring. Nick Collins is a smart, smart guy. He's very astute, and I think he's effective. And I do think he has political courage, uh, because for me, that, you know, that also entails to be able to talk about something, even if no one else is, and, you know, really kind of sticking with it. You know, even when, again, no one else is, there are no headlines, and you keep on talking about it, and you keep on pushing for substantive discussion on it so that something can actually get done to to resolve whatever the issue may be. He would have been a very interesting candidate. But no, again, we decided that we needed, we had to have in Boston. This is what we decided. We had to have a woman and she had to be of color. And it's like, I'm I'm sorry, but I'm done. I got to be able to eat three squares a day. I got to keep a roof over my head. 
I got to be able to work. I don't have to live like, you know, I don't know. I don't have to have gold-plated <laughs> faucets and, you know, a walk-in closet that's the size of some people's apartments. I don't need that, although I wouldn't give <laughs> that down. But but I, I need to have a certain quality of, of life. And I'm not going to have that if the elected officials that are supposed to be representing my con- that's supposed to be responding to my concerns and representing my interests are not doing their job because they don't know what the job should be or they just don't have the knowledge. I'm sorry, but running for office is not the same as running to make a difference. Because a lot of people today, it's not even, forget about whether or not a person even gets elected. People just call, I mean, people, the people are so offensive that they can't even put together a platform. And so let me tell you about those anti-vaxxers. Well, we can start with Catherine Vitale. Now, I actually know Catherine and there was a time I'll be I'll be I'll be I'll be a hundred percent with all y'all. <laughs> I I thought she should run. I did. I said, Catherine, you should run. Because when I met her initially, she seems like someone who is grounded and had something to say and and and, and was able to say it. And then over time, I just saw things I didn't like, and I was like, okay, (laughs) I don't think so. But Catherine decided that she had already decided, it was independent of me, I'm sure, um, decided that she was, in fact, going to run. And I'm sorry, but if anyone thinks that she and her crew were really trying to spread awareness about what was happening with the vaccine— Look, Catherine is anti-vaccine. She was anti-mask. That's sincere. But she took that personal dislike, teamed up with whomever she could, who also did not, uh, was who also was vehemently opposed to the vaccine and the mask, she put together a crew. She needed a crew. She could do more with a crew than by herself. And the idea was to, with this crew, build a movement, make noise, get name recognition, So all this shame on woo, all this, you know, scuffling with the police, getting into fights, that was just to get her name out. That was just to get her name out so that she could then turn around and run for office. And it worked, right? Because people know who she is. Thing is, though, she hasn't done anything but make noise. 
And she didn't even stand up and have a platform. She's, she's put one together over time. To her credit, I mean, <laughs> for lack of a better phrase, even if she doesn't publicly acknowledge some criticism, I do know that she takes some of it on board. So, for instance, I've said things like, well, Catherine, you can't talk about no bike lanes, no this. No. I mean, you can't do that. You, don't, you won't have the ability to say yay or nay on that. But what Catherine could do, should she get elected or whoever gets elected, if, if, if an individual, a member of the Boston City Council, was against the idea of building more bike lanes in Boston, he or she could certainly speak out and the person would have a bully pulpit. I mean, that's what she could do. And so I think some of what she says now, it's a little bit more, okay, not that it's necessarily something that falls neatly within the purview of what a city councilor can do, but it's more along the lines of, well, you know, this is something maybe, maybe sort of kind of feasible. But I mean, she has no business running. And it's funny because she was laying out the reasons or, or, or not even the reasons, um, what word am I looking for? What would be a more apt word? The steps, that's it. The steps, my train of thought. Um, <laughs> the steps to getting people from out of a shelter and into a stable home. Now, while I think that that's certainly something that all council candidates should should give more than a few passing thoughts to, uh, I found it really interesting, some of what she said. So she said that if someone is, if someone receives benefits, excuse me, I want to focus in here, right here, right now. If someone receives benefits, then that person should be given a municipal job and college education should not be a requirement. And I just laughed. You know why I laughed? I'm going to tell you why I laughed. Because Catherine does not have a college degree. What Catherine wants is a job. A job where she makes a lot of money for doing very little. She wants in on the grift. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. I remember once she said, someone asked her about, you know, jobs and why why isn't she going to go out and get one why you know why hasn't she and she said something to the effect of well you know i i just i want to be fulfilled i'm paraphrasing here you know i i you know i i want a job where you know i i feel fulfilled you know it's fulfilling rewarding okay first of all we all want that but If you have a skill set that you haven't bothered to brush up on and you really, more broadly speaking, haven't tried to learn new things, 
you haven't bothered to get any training of any kind, doesn't have to be a four-year university, you could go and get get a, a, a very useful, uh, put together a useful skill set after two years uh, at a community college. Or you could, you know, do an apprenticeship. It, it, you know, it doesn't have to be... It doesn't have to be uh, something like uh, um, a four-year degree, and then you go to get your master's, and then you get your PhD. You don't have to—if that's not your path, then that's not your path. But to want a job that's fulfilling and rewarding and expect that, and the skill set you do have, like I said, you're not doing anything to keep it up to date. And you haven't really gotten any kind of training, a vocational education, or any kind of educational that, for that matter, past high school. Like, like where do you get off? There are people who are fabulously well educated, and they're doing what they can to survive. So they might be working in jobs that are low paying that they're very much overqualified for, so they're very much underemployed, and they might have several of those jobs just to keep up with the cost of living in Massachusetts. I know plenty of people like that. These people can do what they need to do to survive, but Catherine, who doesn't have much of a skill set, who only has a high school diploma, wants to be able to work for the city and doesn't want to have to get any kind of training to be able to do that. I mean, for sure, there are some jobs that might require less training, but, you know, it depends on what you want to do. You can't be expected to be given a job and a title and a salary to match without any kind of education or training. And don't tell me, well, she can just learn on the job. No, I, I'm, I'm tired of all that. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't, I can't stand it even within the private sector. And I've already said how I feel about, you know, that kind of mentality, that mindset uh, in, in, in politics. So it's just, I just, I feel like there's so much corruption and politics because everything that's supposed to be dear to us, education. Boston is an education-based economy. And we're just we're just giving two fingers up to education by not making sure that Boston Public Schools has the tools that the administrators, the teachers, we're not making sure that they have the tools to succeed. We're not making sure that our children have the skills that they need to succeed. And it's just, and, and when people do have an education, they do have training, they're told to go back to the end of the line because they don't know the right people. Cronyism. So there's just so much corruption. So when you have someone like Catherine Vitale who's going to stand up and run without a platform and expecting, hoping to get a job with a title, with a salary to match, Without bettering herself, I got a problem with that because I have a master's degree and I'm trying to better myself. You always want to better yourself. You always want to try to do something different. You always want to do more, right? 
But to run for office to do less or to do what you're doing and only have it benefit yourself, for real, though? So let me, <laughs> let me pivot a little. I'm going to go to a very, very quick break. Uh, you've been listening to me, Rachel Meiselman, on Bostonian Rap. We're getting ready to close out, but we're going to take a little quick break. Then we're going to come back, and we're going to ride out the last two, three minutes. Okay? It's time for today's STEM tip. Okay, you know recycling is important. No one wants plastic in the ocean. Here's a cool way to repurpose a plastic bottle. Build an awesome terrarium. Cut a large plastic bottle in half and fill the base with sand, pebbles, potting soil, and your favorite plant. I chose an African violet. Put the top of the bottle over your base and place it in the sun. Your plant will grow sealed in its own ecosystem. Fun, right? Learn more at She Can STEM. A message from the Ad Council. Hello and welcome back. My name is, of course, Rachel Meiselman. Uh, you listen to me on Bostonian Rap, WBCALP 102.9 FM Boston, Boston's community radio station. I want to take a just slight, slight break there so you can hear someone else's voice besides mine. Sometimes I slip uh, a few ads in there. Sometimes I slip maybe one sneaky ad. Uh, and then sometimes it's just me. And, uh, you know, <laughs> want to kind of switch it up a little bit there. So uh, for the last, I would say, like minute and a half, uh, what I want to uh, make clear, I want to kind of uh, shift back and talk about anti-Semitism. And, and the message that I have um, for my brothers and sisters, be proud, be proud. And I feel like because we're in a situation where we can say more, more easily, we have to remember that. Um, and so that's why we, when we do speak, we need to speak judiciously and well and thoughtfully um, for those of us for the for our brothers and sisters who can't speak uh, as loudly, and I and I would also say that it it is very important to stand up and say no more, no more. Uh, we're no longer going to tolerate what we have tolerated. And on that note, uh, thank you so much for listening. I uh, look forward to hanging out with you next week. The preceding commentary does not reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or the Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to the Boston Neighborhood Network at 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Mass. 02119, attention WBCALP 102.9 FM. If you would like to arrange a time for your own commentary, call WBCA at 617 708 3241 or email us at radio at bnntv.org.